1: Welcome to my study, a place where I spend a lot of time communing with God and communicating with you. And today's program, I believe, is going to be especially a blessing to you. For the last few weeks, I've been preparing an area in our backyard so that we can plant a garden because I want some high quality, organic fruits and vegetables for our family. And while I've been doing that, it's weighed heavily on my heart in a good way that God has an artistic way of describing his people. He refers to us in several passages of scripture as his garden. Think of that. God thinks of you individually as his garden, and corporately the whole body of Christ worldwide as his garden. And there's a beautiful analogy that can be drawn out of that, which we're going to do. But before we get into the details of that particular name for God's people, let's roll the pages back all the way to the beginning of Genesis and the beginning of creation. That's what Genesis means, the beginning. It's amazing to me that God slowed down the lightning-fast chain of events in order to plant a garden eastward in Eden. Up until that point, it was bam, bam, bam let there be light, let there be a firmament, let the dry land appear, let there be fish, let there be birds. He commanded everything and instantly it came into being. But then he slowed everything down and planted the creator of the universe, planted a garden eastward in Eden. Why did he do that? I believe, possibly, that God enjoys both expressions of creativity. He loves to see instant, immediate manifestation of his spoken word, but he also likes to slow things down and watch them grow over a protracted period of time. Maybe that's why you didn't become a fully mature Christian with all the fruits of the Spirit fully manifested and all the gifts of the Spirit fully manifested within a few seconds of bowing your knee to Him and confessing Jesus as Lord in your life. Because if you are God's garden, God's been planting seeds in you for years, seeds of divine revelation, seeds of the Word of God, And then over a period of months and years and decades, he's watched those seeds grow into something beautiful, something that radiates beauty like the flowers in a garden and produces fruit. And we'll get to that more later. But let's focus our attention on the first garden, on Eden. Did you know the word Eden means delight? Because I believe it was a delightful thing for God to actually walk with Adam and Eve and commune with them each day. Every day he would walk with them in the cool of the day, in the Garden of Eden, and how delightful it was for Adam and Eve to see God face to face, to hear the warmth and the power and the authority of his voice, to feel his affection and his love. In fact, very little probably had to be said just being in his presence was an overwhelming, spiritual, ecstatic experience. And it all happened in a garden. And then, of course, the horror of the fall took place. And when man fell, he could no longer live in the garden. And in a fallen state, men and women cannot be a garden that God visits. There's no joy in him communing with a person that's contaminated with sin and dedicated to an evil lifestyle. God's repelled by that, not drawn to that. He was drawn to the Garden of Eden. That was probably the most beautiful part of each day by the earthly standard of a 24-hour day to the Most High God, to actually come down and talk with Adam. The one who bore his image. But when Adam was exiled from the garden, I love how the Bible says the Lord set at the east of Eden a flaming sword and cherubim to keep the way of the tree of life. Now, that may mean to keep man out, but I don't think that's the emphasis. He put the flaming sword there to prevent the way back from being lost and that flaming sword represents two things the fire represents the Spirit of God God baptizes us with the Holy Spirit and fire and the sword represents the Word of God because the Bible said we should take the sword of the Spirit the two-edged sword Old Covenant and New Covenant curses and blessings, the two-edged sword of the word of God. Praise God. So if we follow the word and follow the spirit in our lives, it will lead us back to Eden where not only we enjoy that garden-like communion with God, where we walk with God every single day, but we actually become that garden. It's a step up from what God did in the beginning it's not just a notch higher, it's quite a bit higher because flowers and plants, I'm sure, couldn't worship God the way we can. They couldn't adore God the way we can. They couldn't love him back the way we can. So this is a garden like no other. So God in his redemptive plan didn't give up his idea of having a garden where he could watch things grow. Now let me give you the specific scriptures that deal with this. First Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9. In the living Bible, says it this way, we are only God's co-workers. You are God's garden, not ours. You are God's building, not ours. And then in the amplified version, it says it this way, for we are fellow workmen, joint promoters, and laborers together with and for God. You are God's garden and vineyard and field under cultivation. You are God's building. And I like the additional thought that you are under cultivation because sometimes you can get some real weeds in your heart and mind And the gardener has to tend to that. He has to uproot those weeds or they'll choke the life out of the plants that have value. That's part of going through every day. Weeds can crop up on a daily basis. Hostility, anger, pride, lust, selfishness, all these things need to be weeded out of us, which is something the gardener delights to do. And he knows how to do it well. Now look at the church that that statement was made to that's 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 9 and the Corinthian church was not a list of who's who it was a list of who's done it listen to this scripture 1 Corinthians chapter 6 9 through 11 says do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of god Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor uh, adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you were washed, and you were sanctified, and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. So it wasn't all of them certainly, but some of the Corinthian church members came out of a really dark past, like some of us. But God still called them his garden. He didn't see the garbage dump they used to be, and he didn't call them a renovated garbage dump. He called them a garden, because you are brand new in the sight of God with brand new potential to bring forth things of beauty and things of value. Now, this revelation of God's people being a garden goes all the way back to the Song of Solomon, which is God's love song. It's a symbolic song between the shepherd king bridegroom and his prospective bride, and it's all beautiful, poetical, symbolical language representing the love of the heavenly bridegroom, the shepherd king bridegroom from on high, For his earthly bride, those to whom he's married in a covenant relationship. Think of that. You are married to the heavenly bridegroom, and he is absolutely in love with you. Individually and corporately, the whole bride of Christ is the recipient of a love that is indescribable. The Bible said it is a love that surpasses knowledge. You cannot imagine how much God loves you. Now, listen to the way the bridegroom describes the bride in the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verses 12 through 15. A garden enclosed is my sister, my spouse, a spring shut up, a fountain sealed. Your plants are an orchard of pomegranates with pleasant fruits fragrant henna with spikenard, spikenard and saffron, calamus and cinnamon, with all trees of frankincense, myrrh and aloes, with all the chief spices. And then listen to this. He calls his bride, you are a fountain of gardens, a well of living waters and streams from Lebanon. So you are a well of living waters. You satisfy God's thirst for communion with him. Have you ever been in a garden where there's a beautiful display of rocks and water flowing down and maybe a little water spouting forth from a fountain-like place in the garden? Well, that's how God envisions you. You're a fountain of living water, sending the Word and the Spirit back to Him as you praise Him every day. Now, this leads me to believe that not only is the Bride of Christ as a whole a singular garden— But she is, according to verse 15 of Song of Solomon 4, she is a fountain of gardens. So can you imagine a multiplicity of gardens, millions of gardens springing forth like a fountain before God worldwide that he can visit every day and where he can commune with one of his loved sons or daughters every day. So once again, this is not only a corporate calling, it's an individual calling. It's something that God delights to do with each one of us. And then when we gather together in church, he does it with us as a group. He walks in his garden. And really the bride invites him to do that in the next verse. In verse 16, the bride of the Song of Solomon says, "'Let my beloved come into his garden.'" and eat his pleasant fruits. Now, what are those pleasant fruits that God receives from his eternal garden, his garden of delight, his bride? Number one, the fruit of praise. That satisfies the heart of God for communion and connection. God would be a very lonely God without the bride of Christ, I believe, maybe that's why he recognized the aloneness in Adam. He said, and this was incidentally the first thing he found wrong with creation. Up until this point, everything was good and it was very good. But then he said, it is not good for man to be alone. Why did God realize that when no woman existed that Adam had to have a companion? Because God himself wanted a companion, a bride. And when we praise him, I believe that fills his heart to the brim. That's why Hebrews thirteen fifteen says, let us therefore by him offer continually, continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Now, remember the bride said, let my beloved come into his garden and eat his pleasant fruits. Well, praise is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name and he partakes of that, and it's luscious to him. We minister to God. We don't go to church just to be blessed. We go to church to bless God, to minister to him, not just to be ministered to. Then number two, the fruit in the garden also speaks of the divine personality expressed in us. Read Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. It says, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such there is no law. I believe, just like when you walk in a garden where all the flowers are blooming and it just warms your heart with the beauty of the scenery and the wonderful smell, the aroma of the blossoms, when God walks into our life and he sees evidence of the nature of of the Lord Jesus Christ emerging in us, that we love like he loved, we have joy like he had joy, we are peaceful like the original Prince of Peace himself, then that warms his heart, and he eats his pleasant fruits from the garden of our heart when Christ-like attributes and characteristics are manifested in us. Then finally, number three, The fruit that he partakes of when he visits our lives is the fruit of the spiritual works we do that advance his kingdom. Let me share with you out of John chapter 4 verses 34 through 36. Jesus told them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And he said, do not say there are yet four months until the harvest. Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields. They are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. And incidentally, he said this concerning the Samaritans. He said, he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life, that both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. And so, That was was a wonderful thing uh, that he would allow us to participate in the production of the harvest. That we could gather fruit for eternal life. He could do it all by himself. Any person that gets saved, he could visit them by himself without our involvement. And yet he wants us to bear fruit for the father's glory. He said, herein is my father glorified that you should bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. That's part of being his garden is being fruit bearing parts of the garden. And I I think too many Christians are not minded that way. Too many Christians are just satisfied securing their own salvation. And then have very little sympathy or compassion for the rest of the world that is outside of a covenant relationship with God. We need to get busy for the Father's sake, for his glory. Now let's go back to Isaiah. In the Old Testament, I find a beautiful passage in Isaiah 58 that talks about how we become not only a garden to God, but a garden to those outside of a covenant relationship with God, the hurting people of the world. We are a garden to them as well. And remember, a garden is a place of peace in a world full of strife. It's a place of beauty in a world full of ugliness. It's a place of solace and calmness in a world full of stress and anxiety. You can walk in a garden and the wind can be gently blowing through the plants and the trees above, and it can just calm your heart. And this world out here is so full of craziness and anxiety to the max, and people need to know they can come into our midst, into the church, and into our own personal lives, and find peace from a stress-filled world. And that's what this is all about. In Isaiah 58, God is talking about the perfect fast, and he says, is not this the fast that I have chosen? And certainly, I believe in fasting. Literally, I do it myself. But God said, this is a, a better fast. Is not this the fast I have chosen, to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the heavy burden, to let the oppressed go free, and that you break every yoke? And then down in verse 10 of Isaiah 58, he said, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness I like the King James that says, your light shall rise in obscurity and your darkness will be as the noonday. The best way to have your life lit up so that when you feel like you're walking in darkness, it's as bright as the noonday sun is to reach out to others and help them. He said, if you extend your soul to the hungry, satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness. Your darkness shall be as the noonday. And here's the important verse, verse 11. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought, and strengthen your bones, and you shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. In other words, people will flock to you because they find in your life that that will nourish them spiritually and quench their thirst. Not only are you a garden for other people, you and I and the rest of the Bride of Christ will be a garden eternally. Isaiah 51 verse 3 says it this way, For the Lord will comfort Zion. Zion is a name for God's people as well as a name for Jerusalem. It means fortress. We are a fortress of faith in a world full of unbelief. And God said, The Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places. He will make her wilderness like Eden, reference back to the original garden. Hasn't your life at certain points been like an arid, dry, lifeless wilderness? God said, I'm going to make it like Eden. And your desert will become like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in it, thanksgiving and the voice of melody. In other words, God will give you a song in your heart. And you'll have joy in your life where there used to be a burnover over wilderness that looked like it could never produce anything good. That's not only a corporate promise for the whole bride of Christ, but that's an individual promise for you, and you should claim it. God. You should point out to him certain areas in your life that still look like an arid wilderness and say, God, bring Isaiah 53 verse or 51 verse 3 to pass, if you would please. And then finally, Jeremiah 31 verses 11 through 14. This is my last scripture. For the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of him that was stronger than he. There was some things stronger than you without God's help. Sin was stronger than you. The curse of separation from God was stronger than you. Satan and all his demonic underlings were stronger than you. Death, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, and physically, all those things were stronger than you, but God redeemed you and ransomed you from the hand of one that was stronger than you. And then verse twelve of Jeremiah thirty-one says, Therefore, they shall come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord, for wheat and new wine and oil for the young of the flock and the herd. And here it is, their souls shall be like a well-watered garden, and they shall sorrow no more at all. That's eternally. For all of eternity, the bride of Christ will be like a well-watered garden. That's what you're headed for. It's not like the wilderness world we've come out of. It's something altogether different, glorious, celestial, and eternal. Now, if you want to know more about our calling to be God's garden, get my book, Who Am I? Because there's a chapter in there where I go into even more detail about this wonderful calling, as well as 51 others. In fact, this book has 52 chapters. It's a great book that you can use on a week-to-week basis for a year-long study in your identity, who you are in Christ. Find out what it is to be heirs of the kingdom, the bride of Christ, the apple of his eye, the blessed of the Father, children of Abraham, a new creation, saints, vessels of mercy, the called of Jesus Christ, and much, much more. Thank you for being with me on this episode. I hope it's been a blessing to you.
0: Thank you for listening to Discover Your Spiritual Identity with Mike Shreve, a podcast designed to cause a spiritual awakening in your life. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, cpnshows.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss new episodes. You can go deeper into this amazing revelation of the names God has given His people by getting your copy of Mike Shreve's book titled Who Am I? Dynamic Declarations of Who You Are in Christ. We also invite you to visit our website, shreveministries.org, and sign up to be part of our global internet family, a group of on-fire believers who are bold to proclaim, I am who God says I am, I have what God says I have, and I will be what God says I will be.